Hello, my dudes. Welcome back to Previously Gifted. Last week, we had a special guest, Mr. Nathan, the real, the realest one, my British boyf. Uh, and this week, I'm back alone, and I like this background a lot more. Last week, ugh, I was so annoyed because our wall looks so ugly. It's just plain white. I actually, I mean, we could have filmed this way, but I didn't think about it. Anyway, welcome back. Uh, in today's episode... Uh, I want to start off with answering a little advice question from Patreon, so we will do that, and then we'll hop into some other tings, alright? Um, I've been thinking recently about the podcast and how I want to, uh, kind of make it make more sense. I want to put a little bit more structure into the podcast. I've been listening to a few really great other podcasts, and it just got my brain thinking about, you know... <laughs> how to make a podcast that people know what to expect when listening. Because um, I don't, I mean, I like the freedom of having literally any kind of way that I want to run the, the show uh, on a given, you know, episode. But I know that an audience usually likes some kind of consistency, some kind of formatting so that they know what to expect. So anyway, I'm going to be uh, trying out some new things or little different things in the near future, and we'll see, we'll see where it goes. Anyway, let's give a shout out to our Patreon sponsors. You guys know the deal. If you want to support the podcast and get access to bonus patron-only episodes, you can go to patreon.com slash previously gifted. We actually, RIP, we do not have a new patron this week. Just a little bit sad. <laughs> I'm upset, but <laughs> it's fine. Now, this is just how it is sometimes, all right? I mean, if somebody wanted to really make my day and join the Patreon right frickin' now, that'd be incredible. But no, I, I mean, you don't have to. Do you hear that? <laughs> I swear I go insane. Before I tell my sponsees hello, there's a bird squawking outside, and I did try to close this window, but as I have mentioned before, it is impossible for me. I climbed up between this and that, and tried to push it, it's so annoying. It's like, why do I have to push a window up to close it? I'm not strong enough for this. So we're gonna just have a little bit of background music via the birds and their singing. <laughs> it's beautiful. Anyway, I wanna give a shout out to my sponsees. Uh, we have Hannah Baker, Lauren Thomas, Kristen Ellert, Eric Courtright, Lily Dillon, Liz Walsh, and Love You. I just remembered that my mom was texting me about an hour ago uh, because she was watching last week's podcast because she's a real fan. I'm sure a lot of you guys did too. Um, but my mom told me, um, just started watching your newest previously gifted video with Nathan. He's so funny when he whispers what you're saying. And then she did the smiley, sweaty emoji. And I was like, mm, mom, that's not probably the best use of that emoji, but okay. Um, and then she said, you guys make such a cute couple. I can tell you really enjoy being together and that's so rare. That would be super sad if that's rare for couples to enjoy being together, but I don't know. I mean, she's, she's a married woman. Who knows how often she's chilling with my dad and they're like, do we enjoy hanging out together? <laughs> Sorry, not trying to get into my parents' marriage. They're happily married after 20-something years, so they're chilling. But anyway, um, thanks, Mom, for being a supporter. And thank you, sponsors, for also being big old supporters. So thank you. Um, I've just realized upon recording this that this is the first time that I've 
spoken aloud today. Um, like most of my days, I spend my days alone, just watching vids, editing vids. I finished a video today, finally. It's taken me many days of editing. Um, in case you haven't watched it yet, it is my um, How Vine Shaped a Generation video. I'm trying to get into this youtube analysis kind of video essay type of deal just because it's fun. It's fun to do some research and it is very fun to make videos that are not about me. They're more about culture or a topic or whatever, but it takes forever. Anyway, yes, this is the first time that I've spoken today. And as always, the lisp is out and about because the second I take my aligners out, my mouth's like, what the fuck is this? And then my teeth want to smash against each other and I just don't want to get that on camera. Anyway, let's start with our advice question from Patreon. Like I said, I would. I got a question on Patreon. I asked, does anybody need any advice? Maybe I'll start like an advice column, <laughs> you know, but that, I mean, that's a common thing in podcasts and I don't know how into that you guys are. Please let me know in the comments down below. Um, but if you want me to answer any of your advice questions, you can always hit me up anytime. Say, put this in preview gifty. Uh, so I got a question and she said, I live with my parents in New Orleans. I was on your YouTube live stream once, like two years ago, while you were still at Loyola. <laughs> I go to UNO. I've been dying to move out and kickstart my independent life, but I only really have time to work a part-time minimum wage job while taking 18 credit hours. Yikes. How do I stay patient and recognize that it's probably better for me to stay home and save up money for when I can move out later? Um, I mean, yeah. I feel like my journey of like moving out has been a little bit irregular. Um, I mean, not so much because, you know, I started out moving out um, to a dorm, which is pretty standard. And then I lived off campus at college, but still part of my um, loans at the time were helping to cover my rent, partially at least, so that I didn't have to come up with my full rent while being a full-time student. So I totally understand that. Um, but basically, I think it comes down to you should make a budget for yourself, try to realistically plan out how much it would cost for you to move out on your own. And I find that it's, it's very easy to create an underestimated budget. You're like, oh, well, these are my bills. These are my utilities. This is what I for sure spend every month. But then you think about like the emergency things or the random things that come up, or the random things you may buy. And that ends up being a lot of money as well. That definitely needs to be factored into your budget. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, create a budget and kind of treat it as like a vision board even. Um, like this is what I need. This is what I need to work for. I'm working this many hours. I'm making this much money. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously at this point, like you're limited because you have so much schoolwork to do and you can only work at your job so much. And we all know working like a minimum wage job, even if you put in a lot of hours, it's still, you know, not going to make you that much money. I mean, unless you have time to work full time, but you don't because you're a student, you know? Um, so I get it. I feel that. But yes, I think it's good that you already know <laughs> that it's better for you to stay home and save up money. Um, but I mean, for me, it's like, I'm out here living life. I'm just trying to manage my debt. My biggest goal for the upcoming like few years is obviously graduating college, but also paying off, you know, my loans and my credit card debt and stuff. 
Um, and I'll talk more in depth about that once I start tackling it. I really would love to start, you know, talking about personal finance and like debt management, but I have to get my shit in order first. Like, why would I make a video about it when I can't do much at this point? Um, but anyway, it's good that you know <laughs> that you're not quite ready. But I mean, of course, I mean, right now, I, I don't know if you're saving currently, but you know, all of the saving that you do now works toward that. And I know that it's still frustrating to be at home and you're like working and you're in school and you just feel like you're putting in all this work, but you're still at your parents' house. But you will thank yourself later if you save up a good amount of money so that when you do finally move out, you can cover your expenses and be comfortable and have a little safety net because you definitely need that when you're moving out on your own. Um, you know, some people are like, just save up enough to cover like mm, three months of living expenses. I'm like, bitch, how do you think I'm supposed to save up that much money? But honestly, when it comes to savings and living independently, you know, of course, it's very responsible to save up as much as you can just in case because there's always shit that's going to happen and it might knock you down and you don't want to end up, you know, getting evicted because you can't pay your rent. Anyway, good luck to you and shout out to you for going to UNO. You're doing the school thing. 18 credits, dude. That's a lot. <laughs> so um, just keep keep on grinding because eventually you will graduate and then real life will hit you. But the nice thing about real life is like once you're done with school, all you have to do is go to work. You know, right now you're doing both. And I feel like that's so much harder and people don't really give enough credit to full-time students who are also working a lot because that is a lot of stuff on your plate and it's a lot to manage and it doesn't give you very much time to enjoy yourself. Um, it's mentally exhausting. Anyway, that's that. That's my answer. Submit. Anyway, <laughs> if you guys want advice, like I said, if you have any kind of questions, reach out to me. If you want it to be an anonymous, you can um, message me somewhere and I will just not say your name. I'm so hot. Ugh. This ring light is evil. It's so warm and I wanted to try to film this without it, but honestly, it's it makes the lighting look so good, so it's like totally worth it, but also I'm dying, so then it kind of ruins the integrity of the actual podcast because I spend time talking about how much I'm sweating. <sighs> It's fine. All right, the next thing I want to talk about is kind of a big thing. So I'm going to take a quick break and then we will get into my thoughts on the Kavanaugh hearing. Um, yeah, it's a lot. So I definitely need to breathe for a second before we get into this. Okay, so for those of you who are unaware, um, Brett Kavanaugh is Trump's current Supreme Court nominee. And um, of course, you know, we live in a very politically divided time. And of course, you know, as it always is on both sides, the Democrats usually just right off the bat don't want to, you know, approve a very conservative judge because that's going to impact rulings for, you know, the next 30, 40, however many years. And of course, the Republicans don't want to confirm a very liberal judge. And we saw that during Obama's um, terms, you know, with, what's his name? His name just escaped. And I sounded so smart for just a second. Um, Merrick Garland? Merrick Garland. Yes. 
I'm smart again. <laughs> Thank you, God. Um, but anyway, so, I mean, it's, it's normal for there to be tension during a nomination process for the Supreme Court, but that's not what this is about. Um, so there have been sexual assault allegations against Kavanaugh, um, namely from a woman named Christine Ford, Dr. Ford, um, who knew him back in high school, and her allegations are regarding um, something that happened at a high school party back in 1982. So um, I actually hadn't really been keeping up with this until the... Um, hearing. And I did end up watching most of the hearing um, the other day. It was streaming online. I was watching it literally on Twitter. Um, so there's so much to say. And it's it's so easy to get into this like partisan debate because everything is so divided and we know it. But, but again, it's like, let me start from the beginning. So right off the bat, I can say that I am definitely on in the position of always wanting to believe a, any victim or any survivor of assault. If a woman comes forward and, you know, has an allegation and says that something happened, I want to give her, I guess, the benefit of, of the doubt, and I want to believe her right off the bat. The tough thing is, in a court of law, in our judicial system, um, it is kind of the opposite. And you are supposed to assume that someone is innocent until proven guilty. So I found myself conflicted because I, I of course, believe Dr. Ford not just because, because she's a woman who accused someone of sexual assault. No. Um, but I believe that her, her allegation and her, her responses during the hearing um, are just very... They seem very, very genuine and consistent, and it's very clear that she has participated um, in all of these interviews and all the questioning in a very willing way. She doesn't seem to be wanting to hide anything. If there's anything about, you know, any information about that time or where they were or whatever, she's been very clear about what she just doesn't remember because, again, this was 30-something years ago. Um, and it is perfectly normal to not remember all of the small details of where you were at a given, you know, time, even if it is during an assault, which is a significant, um, si significant event. She does have very specific, um, details and memories about, you know, the actual assault itself and other d things. But anyway, that's not what this is about. Um, I, I... I found myself so frustrated reading Twitter, as always, um, because I don't know. I don't know. As usual, I'm pretty much agreeing with everyone on the left just because, you know, they're kind of on Dr. Ford's side for the most part. Um, but of course, like in a situation like this, it can't be a partisan thing. If, if the question is, did this happen? How can we get to the bottom of this? Where can we find the truth? You know, is there any evidence to be found? That's what we need to be looking at. But also at the same time, this hearing wasn't a trial investigating this alleged assault. It was essentially a job interview for Kavanaugh and his nomination to the Supreme Court. So it was like a very, very complicated hearing because there was so much going on and sometimes it felt like it was so off topic, but then sometimes it was like, obviously the assault needs to be um, 
investigated and, and, you know, both of their testimonies need to be very thoroughly vetted and any witnesses or any, anyone involved or anyone who could be a judge of character for either of them needs to be taken seriously and investigated. So, um, naturally I became very heated, um, well, Kavanaugh's testimony started in his opening statement. He was very fiery and very emotional and teary-eyed. And of course, right off the bat, because I believe Dr. Ford, I was like, this has got to be bullshit, you know? Um, but then, you know, there's men who are like, of course, I mean, anyone, but specifically men, men were like, if I was accused, if I was falsely accused of something, if I were an innocent man accused of these horrible, you know, assaults, I would be emotional too. Um, but I was like, yeah, but his emotion alone doesn't prove that he's innocent, you know? Like, like obviously this was an emotional thing and still is for Dr. Ford, but she remained very calm and composed. And I'm not saying that emotion can point out whether you're guilty or not, because people react to different situations in different ways. Um, but I just, I wasn't buying it, so to speak. Like, it was so annoying. I saw so many, so many people like, wow, this is really a family man. And he kept mentioning, you know, how religious he is. And I just felt like it was just pandering, you know, to the, to the right. Um, you know, I am religious. My daughter even prayed for Dr. Ford. We are such a good family. My wife and all of these women who know me are standing by me. I like beer. I still like beer. I was such a good kid. I was a top, um, student and a top athlete. I wouldn't have time to do any of these things. I was just like, dude, I'm not buying it. Just straight off, like, looking at how he answered questions, I was like, you're not answering these questions. There were so many times where he just would evade a question and not give a direct answer or go off on a completely irrelevant tangent, or he would answer a question with a question almost always when he was speaking with a female Democratic senator, which was so frustrating to me. It's like, um, have you ever, you know, uh, have you ever blacked out? Have you ever forgotten something that happened while you were drinking? Oh, I don't know. Have you? What kind of grown man who is a judge, a federal judge, and who wants to be on the Supreme Court, what kind of man would answer in a formal questioning situation with, I don't know, what about you? Like, that just was such an immature response. And he had, he had apologized for that. There was another time where he answered a question with a question. But it was just like, I was like, dude, if you have nothing to hide, if you are innocent, you should be doing your best to try to make it very, very clear um, exactly what your answers are to every single one of these questions. And I would want to be as specific as possible. And that's something that I admire in Ford's testimony is even if there was one tiny detail or one tiny like word that she wanted to change, she would because she was trying to be as exact as possible. And I don't feel like uh, Judge Kavanaugh was doing the same. So I shared something on Facebook <laughs> the other day um, that was, I know I still use Facebook. We talk about this all the time. I am not ashamed. Um, let me find it. It's from Vox. It is a data analysis of the transcript of the hearing. And it's showing every time that Ford and Kavanaugh did or did not answer a question. Um, and literally every single question is in blue, which means answered question, 
for Ford. So every single question throughout the hearing, she, you know, sufficiently answered or tried to answer. Um, and then Kavanaugh's, so it's blue and pink. Pink means did not answer. Kavanaugh's is literally striped as hell. Like, so many non-answers and then did not answers. That doesn't make sense. I assume that this, like, grayness in the middle just means, like, I don't know. No, never mind. Um, the point is, it is, it's clear literally just looking at the transcript, just looking at what Kavanaugh and Ford said, that either you're cooperating with the questioning or you're not. Either you're doing your best to give an adequate answer or you're not. Um, and of course, some dude commented on me sharing this post on Facebook saying, I'm so excited to see his name cleared and have his nomination confirmed this week. I also hope Ford gets through with everything she's been dealing with as well. And I'm like, we don't know. We do not know what's going to happen. And, and to be honest, we do not know what the truth is. As much as I believe Ford and her testimony, it is true. We do not know the evidence. We do not know the circumstances. I may doubt Kavanaugh for a lot of reasons, but that's the thing. We haven't had, a, you know, the public hasn't seen the results of the investigation that's currently ongoing. Um, so no one can say with absolute certainty that any of this is true or false or any of these details are true or false or, you know, th that's that's the tough thing. Um, so anyway, I am very, very glad that the um, FBI investigation is happening. I was so frustrated. That was another thing that I really, that, that I thought made Kavanaugh seem like he was hiding something, obviously. Um, and that's what a lot of the Democratic senators were pressing on was when they asked, if you are so innocent, basically, um, would you right now tell us that you recommend an FBI investigation? You want a formal investigation? And um, he kept saying basically that the FBI investigation wouldn't be conclusive. It wouldn't come to a conclusion. It wouldn't say Kavanaugh's right, Ford's right. That's not the purpose of it, though. The FBI investigation's purpose is literally just to formally, you know, in the most serious ways and with the most consequences if you are lying, if you are guilty of perjury, um, is to question both Ford and Kavanaugh as well as any other witnesses or other people just to try to corroborate um, any of these details and see if stories line up or where they don't or where the inconsistencies are um, or, you know, the things that can't be proven at all. Um, so, wow, that's good. We love noise outside. So anyway, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remain fair. I mean, because obviously I do not personally want a conservative judge to be added to the Supreme Court, obviously. For my own political um, position, it is advantageous for us to have, you know, more liberal people on the Supreme Court so that we can defend things such as, you know, women's reproductive rights such as abortions, protect Roe versus Wade, all of these different things. Um, the Supreme Court is not something to take lightly at all. And I think I think most people know that, but I feel like this has become such a such a messy he said she said, apparently, you know. People just think this is like some ridiculous um, it's like what Lindsey Graham said. He's like, this is the biggest, most disgusting 
travesty in all of government. It's like, are you insane? This? We're trying to investigate an accusation of sexual assault against a nominee for the Supreme Court, and you think that's a terrible act? The evil Democrats, am I right? Um, It's like, okay, are Democrats using this for their political gain? Yes, of course. It is. I mean, of course, I'm sure that the Democrats um, 100% are empathetic for Dr. Ford and want justice. But this is a political tool. This coming up is the exact thing that is most interfering with Kavanaugh's nomination. And I think it's ridiculous to pretend that it's not a political tool. It didn't... Okay, I'm not saying that it was falsified. I'm not saying it's fake. I'm not saying they hired her to do this. But when something like this comes up and it, you know, it, it works with what the ultimate goal is, which is preventing, you know, a, a conservative Trump nominee to get into the Supreme Court, you know, it's going to be used in a political way. That doesn't make it, that doesn't make it wrong. But I mean, I don't know. It's it's so funny. I feel like it's so self-righteous for uh, the people on the right to be like, oh, how dare you use someone's assault for political gain? It's like you would use anything that you had against a Democratic nominee against them so that they wouldn't be nominated. I mean, it's that's just how it is right now in politics, unfortunately, is like anything is fair game. You know, it's it's the the means to the end. It's unfortunate. But anyway, um, I also retweeted an article that was really, really wonderful. Um, It is called How We Know Kavanaugh is Lying, and it's from currentaffairs.org. And it's just this very, very, very thorough um, analysis of the transcripts, again, of Ford and Kavanaugh. Um, And I I think this author does a really great job of emphasizing that he again, doesn't know the facts, but all that anyone can really work off of right now in the public, anyone who is not involved in this FBI investigation, the only thing that we have to look at um, when trying to see who seems more reliable or who seems to be telling the truth is their testimonies. So we look at these transcripts and... um, when Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh are discussing the same topic, they compare what each of them said and how they said it. Because obviously, how you answer a question can have completely different implications. And if you're not straightforward, there are a lot of different directions and ways that your answer can be interpreted. Um, so if you'd like, I'm going to leave this in the um, description of this video because it's, it's a pretty long read. But... Um, Basically, there were a lot of ways that Brett Kavanaugh was, um, again, of course, he was obviously evading questions or um, giving irrelevant answers, but he was misleading and flat out lied a number of times about sometimes small details, but small details add up, you know? And if he is knowingly, the way that he's phrasing a lot of these answers, he is knowingly trying to mislead um, you know, the senators and trying to frame himself in a particular way, which again, you compare that to the way that Dr. Ford answered these questions. And I feel like she was just so straightforward. Um, and she just simply wanted to present a clear, you know, recollection. 
Anyway, that's all that I can say about this right now. I'm sure I'll touch upon this again uh, next week, which may be when the uh, FBI investigation is over. I'm actually not sure what happens next. Like, obviously, the public must become aware of the findings of the investigation, um, at least maybe the general the general big pieces of information that are, you know, examined. But, um, yeah, I'm not really sure what happens next. I don't know if they'll have another public um, hearing of some kind or if it just goes straight to the Senate and they'll actually vote on the uh, nomination. But anyway, uh, it is tough. It's, it's a very tough time. And I do not enjoy living in such a starkly politically divided country, you know? It just makes, it makes every single issue a political issue. And of course, politics are, you know, relevant to a lot of things. And I mean, especially when we're talking about something that is literally politics. This is a Supreme Court nomination. Um, It's just, it's unfortunate to constantly be feeling like I mean, this is how probably everyone is. If if you're like me and you get very fired up and very involved uh, with politics, I find myself, I, I try to fight against feeling like I am clearly right, you know, like correct. You know, there, there are so many issues where I'm like, well, this is like a moral issue or this is a non-issue or this is the way. I mean, that's just how it is. People are so solidified in their own beliefs and their own morals and their own values and um, it's so easy to look at the other side um, and think, how could they think that? How could they believe that? How could they support him? How could they support this? Um, and it is just, it's so polarizing. It is only pushing us further and further away from understanding each other. And I just, I mean, because people have always been a little bit I mean, I don't know. Back in the day, people didn't want to talk about politics. And I'm not a fan of that. I think people should talk about politics and I think they should be allowed to be be vocal. I don't think it's tacky to state your political opinion or share something political. Um, A lot of people do. A lot of people think it is tacky. Um, I'm not trying to get in major fights (laughs) about politics on Facebook, but I will share something and I will try to have a discourse. But I, I try to be respectful and I try to understand the other side but there's just it's so often that there are just blatant lies or so much misinformation that I find it very frustrating to see what the other side quote-unquote is saying or how they're reacting to something it's just it's crazy that there can be a situation like this where there are just people who are so far to either side again so polarized Um, that they aren't even willing to consider the other side. Because as I said, I believe Dr. Ford, um, but when, when, when Kavanaugh's, uh, opening statement and his testimony started, I was actively trying to just listen to him with, like, a neutral perspective. And I was trying to just hear what he was saying and judge based upon that, um, but I think, I think people are finding it increasingly more difficult to do that. It is so hard <laughs> and nearly impossible to try to be objective. Anyway, I don't know. With the midterms coming up, I'm hype. Of course I am. Um, I am officially, well, I've been registered in New York. I got to vote in the primary as well. Um, but I finally got my New York license, so that's a thing. Um, but, you know, I'm very excited to vote in the midterms and of course to see the general outcomes of the midterms. I think it's going to be 
obviously very, very important. It certainly is. And I really hope that more people are going to get involved and vote because it is the simplest thing. If you listening right now are not registered yet, please look it up right now, how to register in your state. You can do it online sometimes. Sometimes you have to mail in um, extra information or you can register in person. Um, But please register. And then when it comes to, you know, the time to vote for the midterms, just show up. Your polling place is literally close to you. It's local. You show up. It's very quick. My experience in voting has been almost, almost, I don't know, lackluster. I mean, obviously it is. You walk in and some old people give you your... (laughs) I'm generalizing, I'm stereotyping, but when I walked in there, especially at my local polling place, they were all old volunteers. Actually, they're not volunteers, they're getting paid. But anyway, um, you walk in, you get your paperwork, and then you go in your little cubby, and you fill it out, and then you submit it. It takes literally, like, five minutes. Sometimes there is a line. If you're at, you know, if you're there during a peak time, or you're at a very busy polling station or something... Either way, sorry to bore you with the details on how to vote, but I just, I I find it absolutely unacceptable for anyone, frankly, to not be participating. And especially the people that I'm talking to right now, like I know that all of my followers and listeners and viewers um, have political opinions and whether you are outwardly politically involved or not, you need to participate. It is so important. If you have grievances against this administration, if you want to make sure that things go in a direction that you approve of or you support, if you want to support candidates that you can actually enjoy, if you want them to be elected, you have to show up and vote. So please, please do. And if you are listening on YouTube right now, um, let me know if you're registered because I want to to feel comforted by the fact that, you know, other people listening are actually going to participate, you know? Let's give a pledge. Let's give a pledge to show up in those midterms and freaking submit our votes, dude. It's the best thing. All right, I'm going to take a break, and then we will get back with more of my recent Netflix and movie watches. Stay tuned. And we're back. Like I said, I have some recent watches, as always, some quick little movie and show reviews for you. So my recent list, at least that I can think of, um, I've been watching a lot of TV, which I always say, but I feel like Nathan and I have really perfected our binging routine, so much so that he's trying to hold back. He's like, dude, we can't fly through a season in two days. You gotta slow down. I want something to look forward to when I come home from work. And I'm like, boo! Let's stay up till midnight watching another episode. But anyway, uh, the first thing I want to mention is Maniac. It is a series on Netflix. It is called a limited series, but it is starring Jonah Hill and Emma Stone. And it is basically about um, both of them being participants in a pharmaceutical drug trial um, for this drug that basically attempts to remove or heal traumatic memories basically. Um, so it is so good. Can I just say right off the freaking bat, it is so good. And I haven't really heard people talking about it, but, um, it is really, really interesting. It kind of pops all over the place in terms of, um, 
how the narration goes, but um, there are there are obviously the two main characters, so Jonah Hill and Emma Stone's characters, who I have subsequently forgotten their character names. Um, <laughs> they each kind of have their like introductory um, bit of the opening episode, and you learn a bit of their backstory. Um, but a lot of questions go unanswered for a few episodes, which is I. I think very interesting. Um, I think it's nice to be a few episodes in and maybe you're going like, what the fuck is happening? Do you know what's happening? But it's kind of nice because when it's finally revealed and it starts to come together in the end, it's just very satisfying. Um, so that's kind of how this series works. But then at the same time, which I don't think is a spoiler because it's in the trailer, um, while they're going through this drug trial, they're basically, yeah, they're reliving old memories and then um, shit happens and they basically get into these like dream worlds where they're like stuck together because obviously you're supposed to be you're supposed to be experiencing everything on your own. It's your own traumatic memories, your own trauma that needs to be healed. Um, but they end up intertwined and um, it's just it's really great. It goes through different periods. So literally like they get to be different characters. Like, there's, there's this part where they're, like, a married couple on Long Island in the 80s. And I was like, dude, this is literally us right now, but in the 80s. Um, it's fascinating. And then there's, there's a sequence which is in, like, the 1920s or something. Um, it is just, it is a really, really great show. It is fascinating. Like I said, um, Nathan, a couple episodes in, they're, like... 45 minute long episodes, I think. A few episodes in, he's like, do you know what the fuck is happening? Like, do you get this? And I'm like, vaguely. And he's like, yeah, same. Um, so you're like, but that's, that's obviously intentional. It's not because it's like sloppy story. It's just like, um, they intentionally want you to not figure out certain things until later on. It's really great. Um, but aside from that, you know, the performances are really awesome. It is so cool to see Jonah Hill and Emma Stone in... Um, they do have some comedic moments, but for the most part, it's more of a drama series um, with, with some, you know, sci-fi kind of elements, um, a little bit of that kind of, like, dark future um, <laughs> kind of theme. So it's it's very interesting to see, like... Um, Jonah Hill's character is schizophrenic, so you see a lot of that, and then Emma Stone is just kind of fucked up. Um, you know, she's had, obviously, a big major trauma, and then other family issues that have contributed to her, you know, wanting to join this study in the first place. Um, so, yeah, it is so good, and it is so beautiful. Like, the set design is really amazing, the cinematography... Um, is really great. They play wonderfully with, like, lights and colors. Um, and then I think Nathan's favorite part, probably, um, is within the lab, the pharmaceutical lab where they're doing this trial. Um, it's just the way that the, the, uh, lab technicians interact is very interesting. They're all very, like, soft-spoken, and it's just, like, it's a very weird vibe, so to speak, but it's, like, weirdly comforting. It's almost asmr -y. Like, they kind of talk to each other like this, except the, um, one of the technicians has a British accent, and so she's talking like this, and it's just very calming. <laughs> I've been working on my British accents, by the way. Just wait. Nathan and I have to make some kind of a, 
an accent challenge video someday because I'm working on my shit, all right? Anyway, Maniac, it's really great. Again, we binged through that very, very quickly. And I wish it wasn't a limited series because I really did love those characters. Um, the story obviously came to a resolution, but I would still be interested in seeing more of them. Like, I, I love that because, I mean, I don't know, when a book ends, when a movie ends, it's common to be like, oh, but I want more. Where do they go after this? Um, but I think I really just loved the combination of Jonah and Emma. It was really wonderful. I probably rated that like four and a half stars on my letterbox. It was really great. Uh, next up, Crazy Rich Asians. I finally saw Crazy Rich Asians the other night with Nathan. Um, we were super late to it, but we, we wanted to be able to catch it in theaters. I had been hyping it up, um, mostly because I wanted to support, you know, Asian American films. You know, I, I want to see more Asian representation in films. It's simple as that. Obviously, you can do a rom-com or whatever you want to classify this movie as um, with an Asian cast or with a Latin cast or, you know, whatever. And, and I hope that, sorry, I'm heated. I hope that I would still be equally interested in seeing it because it's about the filmmaking. It's about the story. It's about the the actual performances from the actors, less about um, the actual culture. But that being said, it's totally about the culture. And I, I know that a lot of Asians felt really, really happy to see their culture represented or something that they could relate to on a deeper level. Um, so I think, you know, in general, like, could anyone like me, a white girl in America, could I go into this movie and go, oh, I can't relate because I'm white. I'm not Chinese. No, there are so many elements of all of this that are completely universally relatable. You know, it's like, oh, pressure from your boyfriend's family or, you know, feeling like you're not good enough or blah, blah, blah. Like being very surprised by insane wealth. Yeah, it's relatable. Um, so anyway, I, I'm really glad that it did well. It did really well. Let me check the numbers. Let me Google this shit. Crazy Rich Asians Box Office. <sighs> Let's see it. Oh, no way. Wow. New York Daily News says Crazy Rich Asians becomes the highest grossing rom-com in a decade. Wow, that is really, 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 really fantastic. I'm very, very happy for them. That is huge. I mean, this is... it's <sighs> The significance of this film goes goes for more than just this film. It is about Asian representation in Hollywood and in American movies and in, in the worldwide market. Um, so it is incredibly powerful for this movie to have performed well. It is the first, like, Asian American majority cast movie since the Joy Luck Club, which I'm pretty sure was in like the 90s, possibly even the 80s. I think the 90s. Um, but anyway, um, it's just, it's very, very significant. And I'm very happy because I think everyone should be happy with seeing more Asian representation. There's no reason why an Asian actor or actress can't perform as well as any other race. It's simple as that. The audience gets it. It doesn't cause some disconnect. But I think, you know, of course, Hollywood's like, 
well, why would we let an Asian in this movie if we could have Scarlett Johansson or Jennifer Lawrence? You know, it's that classic shit. Um, it has passed $165 million at the box office. Office? Making it the highest grossing romantic comedy in the U.S. in a decade, passing the 2009 The Proposal. The Proposal. Movie. Have I seen that? 2009. No way! Are you kidding me? I did watch this the other day. The Proposal <laughs> is Ryan... Ryan Reynolds and frickin' Sandy Bullock. I, that's crazy. I mean, that was a good movie, too. A solid rom-com. But anyway, um, so I'm very, very glad that it's done really well. And by the way, The Joy Luck Club was 1993. Um, wow. That is nuts. My Big Fat Greek Wedding from 2002 holds the all-time rom-com record at about $241 million. So, yeah, interesting. But how did I feel about the movie? Um... I have to say, unfortunately, I was a little disappointed. Um, again, I can totally understand the significance of the movie, and I'm sure maybe if you are Asian or Asian American watching this movie, it would be different for you. Um, but like, just based on being a rom-com, like there was like almost nothing funny in this movie. Um, there were moments that tried to be funny. But I, I don't think it really worked. Um, I think the funniest part of this movie was Aquafina. She kind of just, like, reminded me of uh, Miley Cyrus. Because she looked like Miley Cyrus with the short blonde hair. And she had this, like, accent going that sounded like Miley Cyrus. Which might just be Aquafina's regular speaking voice. I don't know. She was really funny. But otherwise, um, I don't know. It was like, I feel like Crazy Rich Asians was, like in between a rom-com and like a family drama and I wish it would have gone if anything even more toward family drama I just for for it to be marketed as a rom-com and then not really be funny I mean I don't know again maybe maybe because I can't specifically relate to some of these situations it's it just didn't hit for me um but I, I just I don't think it was I don't think it was that funny. Um, and then, I mean, otherwise, it was just, it was kind of just an underwhelming movie experience for me, which, I mean, I don't know. Usually I'm not a very tough critic, but I definitely went out of that movie just like, eh, there wasn't really anything about it that I loved. And it kind of just, I mean, it did, it did make me a little bit um, upset because obviously, like, I think that, that part of it is definitely more powerful in that, um, you know, the, yeah, the pressure to try to fit someone's standards, or you're just not what someone wants you to be, and you'll never be, or, you know, being worried about what your partner's family thinks about you. Um, those are definitely relatable things, and, <laughs> you know, um, Nathan and I left the movie and we're like, dude, if you did that shit to me, like, if you didn't warn me that you were super crazy rich, like, I'd be pissed, you know? Um, but anyway, other than that, I mean, I don't know. Let me know what you guys thought. It has a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb. I wonder what its Rotten Tomato is. I don't know. I, I, keep, I keep looking at ratings like that for the first time, like, ever because of Nathan. Every time we want to go see a movie, he's like, what's it rated? Um, 
And, you know, obviously you can't 100% trust any of these ratings because it's objective. It's other, it's subjective, sorry. Um, it's just other people's, other people's opinions and what they, they got from it. It's a 92% on um, Rotten Tomatoes. So clearly a lot of the audience loves it. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. Actually, okay, the audience score was 81%. Interessant. Yeah, I don't know. It just wasn't, it wasn't a lot for me. I really, I enjoyed those actors, but I don't think this movie allowed them to have the performances that they are capable of. Um, so I would love to see those actors in different situations. I'm talking about the leads. Um, yeah, I just, it was just a little flat. I mean, the way that rom-coms rom are a lot of the time is just like, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe I've just never noticed it. Maybe I was more critical of this because I was going into it with such high expectations. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Either way, I'm really glad that I saw it and I'm glad that I contributed a teeny bit toward its, um, its box office success. But that is that. Ooh, coming up. Yes, bitch. Oh, another movie that I'm very excited for, which opens on my birthday, Friday, October 5th. I'm turning 23. That's really weird every time that I acknowledge it. I'm like, oh yeah, my birthday's in three days. Hmm, okay, cool. Um, A Star is Born is opening. <gasps> Venom is opening on October 5th too. Nathan's gonna want to see that. Um, but I'm very excited about A Star is Born. It is the Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga movie, the like country kind of singers. Um, we love a dramatic musical story and... Um, Lady Gaga's voice makes me cry. I want to cry because of Bradley Cooper's voice. And I think it's his, Bradley Cooper's directorial debut. So I'm very, very excited. So far, just the critical score uh, for A Star is Born is at 95%. So like, apparently it's doing really, really well. And uh, I want to see that, you know? Okay, so the very last thing that I have watched, I'm actually currently watching, and that is... Ozark. Um, <laughs> so, funny thing is that, first of all, um, there is the same actress in Maniac and Ozark. What is her name? Maniac Ozark actress. Listen to that siren out there. Oh, it's getting closer. Good. Oh, it's coming right by. Here it is. Just gonna take my time to breathe while I can. Why not? Um, the actress is Julia Garner. She was in Maniac and Ozark, um, which I didn't know until Maniac ended and it recommended Ozark to me, and it was her, and I was like, wait, what? Um, so in in Maniac, she is Emma Stone's little sis, and there's a whole sister storyline and it literally made me think of me and my sister um my sister is always saying that either she feels like i am a figment of her imagination or she's always scared that something bad is gonna happen to me i could cry um she'll be like i had a dream that you died and i couldn't help you and i'm like oh sissy why are you dreaming that i'm dying <laughs> but anyway i think that's just a classic sibling and especially older sibling thing where you know your your siblings are precious and you want to keep them safe. Oh good, now there are just so many noises going on. I love it. I love having an open window. It also helps that um, all the traffic coming 
back and starting during rush hour is happening right now, so that's good. I should tell Nathan to pick me up coffee. Nathan, can you please come make coffee? Can I get coffee? Or can you bring it? Um, that's my text. Cool. So, yes, Julia Garner is in Ozark, and she's playing two very different roles. Um, so I think it's very, very cool to see that. <laughs> that's the end of my sentence. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I had never really heard about Ozark, um, until... Maniac ended. And so anyway, I texted my sister right after we finished Maniac. And I was like, Heather, you need to watch Maniac. There's a sister storyline. You'd love it and probably cry. Um, and she's like, oh my god, I actually watched the end of it or something. I was like, you need to watch the whole thing. She's like, have you seen Ozark? I was like, oh, we're starting it right now. She's like, yeah, so are Gio and I. Um, so anyway, Ozark is about money laundering. And it's starring the classic family man, um, why am I forgetting his name? Why do I forget everything the second I need to know it? Hello? His name is... What's his name? How am I forgetting his name right now? I literally know his name so much. <sighs> Jason Bateman. Duh. Duh. Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman is actually the director of Ozark. No, he's not. Is that true or am I wrong? Either that or executive producer, but I feel like he's the director. Jason Bateman, Ozark. Sorry, it's the end of the podcast. I'm getting super sweaty. I need some coffee. Um, oh, okay, 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 <laughs> okay. Um, it says... Jason Bateman stars in the series. He also directed the first two and last two episodes of season one and the first two of season two. Okay, that's an exciting little distinction there. Um, but I love Jason Bateman, even though he always plays kind of the same character and he's always with Jennifer Aniston. But anyway, uh, I love him. He's the classic, like, white guy who's like dad age, I guess. Maybe a dad. Um... <laughs> Anyway, it's about his family and the Mexican drug cartel and money laundering and crime. And I just found an article in the Huffington Post entitled, What White Crime Family Shows Like Ozark Teach Us About Whiteness. And I'm sure it's like, oh, they get to be like these high, high rolling criminals. I mean, yes, they're under the threat of constant danger. Um, and, you know, the threat of police authority. But they do also kind of live some pretty, like, cool, exciting lives, and they get a shit ton of money. Um, so is it glamorizing crime? <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna read this article, probably. We'll see. But anyway, I, um, I like Ozark. I like it, and I think you should watch it, too. Again, we've been binging it a little too fast. We've already flown through season one, and we... I think we watched at least two episodes of season two. We're going too fast, but I can't stop. If you have any other shows to recommend, please let me know, because we always need more shows to watch. Thank you guys for listening. I hope this episode was interesting. Again, if you want advice, or if you just would like to see that in the podcast, please let me know. If you are listening to this on iTunes, or if you're watching on YouTube, um, if you could head over to iTunes and leave me a little review, 
it helps the podcast. That's what every podcaster says, but how does it really help the podcast? It helps my ego, and uh, I'd like to just see some new reviews, because sometimes there, there's like 99% good reviews, and then the one bad review makes me feel sad, um, and it happens to be the first review that I see when I go to my reviews, so I'm like, <laughs> cool, that's unfair. Anyway, um, I've got to go. Nathan's going to be coming home from work soon. Okay, thanks. Bye!